listen to these words from Psalm 36. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. You know, sometimes it's easy to forget that God is the source of all of our truest joy and our greatest happiness. You know, so just to to hear those words that we come to feast on the abundance of his house. And that's what we're here to do this morning, to feast on God's word, um, to feast on the fellowship of the saints, to feast on the encouragement that we have uh, from the Holy Spirit. So let's just just keep those things in mind as, as we worship this morning. And, you know, as we thinking about as we start a new year, it's a time for reflection and a time that we also reflect on change. And everyone in this room has a different story, has different things that come to mind as they think about the last year. Some of those things are painful. Some of those things are joyful. But in all of them, we remember that God is faithful. praise team for leading us before the Lord this morning. I want to ask if you would join me as we pray before we look into the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, uh, we are privileged in this new year to trust in Christ, the solid rock, and I pray that as we begin this new year, uh, as we have heard Alan share, the past year has brought with it pain and pleasure, and joy and sorrow, and I thank you that in the midst of it all, you're faithful, and you are a rock upon which we can stand, and I ask now that as we open your word that your spirit would teach us, open our eyes as the psalmist prayed, that we might behold wonderful truths from your law. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Every year... In the spring, professional baseball teams are required to show up for spring training. I uh, have a, I think we have a slide of uh, Sloan Field. used to be Hohokam Field in Mesa, Arizona. Every year the baseball teams go down there and they do this because they they engage in spring training, which is a, a refocus on the fundamentals. Because... Professional teams know what we often lose sight of, and that is that it's only through regular discipline in the fundamentals that they can take their game to the next level. Regular discipline in the fundamentals. And what's true for professional athletes is true for us spiritually. Only as we have repeated discipline in the fundamentals where we take our spiritual game to the next level. And at Creekside Church, our our desire, we keep in vision our minds. The goal is to lead people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul said in 
1 Timothy chapter 4, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline, regular exercise of the spiritual disciplines, fundamentals, so that we can grow up in Christ, so that we can lead people everywhere. I want to ask uh, if you can put up a, that screen of the vision statement as the yeah, this is our, our vision frame. If you look at the top, it says leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the mission of Creekside Church, as the elders have put that together. And in the bottom, it says the strategy. Well, that's to invite the congregation regularly, consistently, and continuously. That sounds like spiritual discipline in the fundamentals. To what? Worship, learn, connect, and contribute. There are certain fundamentals that we need to be focused on if we're going to up our game and make progress, at least, in leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I want to share with you three spiritual workouts, if you will, three spiritual workouts that if we engage in consistently, it will at least help us become more spiritually fit and better able to lead people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, what I'm about to share is actually nothing new, okay? That's thus fundamentals, right? You know, when you're in baseball and you have to learn to field grounders, well, there's not much you learn to field grounders. When you learn to throw the ball, you learn to throw. We know you're supposed to throw the ball. You learn to bat, you're supposed to hit the ball. That's the idea. But you have to practice it. It doesn't matter what we know. It matters what we do. It doesn't matter what we know. If we don't do what we know. So this morning there's these three workouts. The first one is this. That we're to pursue our walk with God. If you have your Bibles I invite you to turn to Psalm 19. This is a passage that we went over in more detail this past summer. I'm just going to hit a little section of it in Psalm 19. Beginning with verses 7 through 11. There are at least two critical exercises. That I think are necessary if we're going to grow spiritually. If we're going to cultivate our walk with God. Now. We could list a bazillion spiritual disciplines in cultivating our walk with God. There are just all kinds of them. We're just going to talk about two. And the first one is this. The first exercise is to ingest the Word of God. Okay? To take it in. In Psalm 19, beginning with verse 7, the psalmist says these words. He says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. There's three benefits to taking in the Word of God. You see, if we're going to cultivate a walk with God, that's a relationship. A relationship is dependent upon communication. And the primary way that God communicates with us is through His Word. And therefore, we need to take it in. How many of you received Christmas cards or sent Christmas cards this year? Are we awake this morning? Yes. So, okay. What did you do with the Christmas cards that you received? 
Did you just immediately throw them in the recycle bin? No. You opened them and you read them. This is God's letter to us. To be read and to be read and to be reread so that we can understand His heart for us and what He wants for us. The Word of God, first of all, in the first few verses, 7 through 9, we see is, is valuable. It's perfect, the law of the Lord. And each one of these little phrases is just a synonym for God's Word. So the law of the Lord is perfect. It's completely true. It restores the soul. It instructs us and inspires us to see the sin in our life so that we will confess it, repent, and be restored into right relationship with God. Ten years after I had graduated from high school, I was sitting in my study uh, working on a message that I was going to be sharing on Sunday, and the Spirit of God used the Word of God to convict me of a sin that I had committed when I was still in high school. There was a particular young lady in high school, and I had embarrassed her, and I had taken great delight in embarrassing her, and I said, that's not right, Lord, I need to confess it. And so I got her number. I had to call the school to find out where she was and to get her number. And I called her on the phone, and I, had, and I asked her for her forgiveness for that injustice and impropriety that I'd committed. It was the Word of God is perfect, restoring the soul that brings us back into right relationship with Him. He says the testimony of the Lord is sure, it's reliable. It's making the wise simple. No, making the simple wise. Making wise the simple. So if you translate it differently, it's making the simple people wise. We are simple. We're not wise. But the Word of God makes us wise. It gives us instructions so that we can understand what marriage is all about. It gives us instructions so that we can learn what, how we should parent little children. It gives us wisdom to know how to use money. It gives us wisdom in relating with other people. It makes the simple wise. And we see in verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Now here's the hard part. See, it rejoices the heart to do what's right, but sometimes it's not always fun. And that's where we need to keep in view the, the mercy of God. So in doing what God calls us to do, it's the mercy of God that gives us the joy. And it's also the grace of God in reminding us of the promises that he's given. So, for example, everyone who gets married, and I was at a wedding on Friday night, and, you know, just like any other preacher at a wedding, they say, you know, you need to love each other, you need to be committed to each other, blah, 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 blah. We know that. But in the middle of a marriage, what sacrifice can you make as a spouse that is greater than the sacrifice that Christ has made in loving you? None. And so, I can take joy. It can rejoice my heart, even though it is difficult. The Word of God teaches me to rejoice when I focus on the mercy of God in what the difficult things He requires of me. And on the grace of God in what He has promised me. The psalmist goes on. He says, the commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. It's Psalm 109, 
119.105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. It lights out, up the way. It shows me the truth. It shows me how I should live. It enlightens my own sin. We live in a sin-darkened world, folks. We live in a world in which life is cheapened, cheapens life, confuses gender, champions greed, and compromises integrity. And we need the light of God's Word to show us what's true. Then he goes on. He says, the fear of the Lord is clean. Clean. It's not dirty. And it lasts forever. When was the last time you actually used a postage stamp? You know, the little things that you stick on letters that you actually have to write out, or at least you print off and then you put it in an envelope. What is written at the bottom of the postage stamp? In God we trust, there's something else. Forever. Now here's my take on forever on the stamp, and that is because they got sick and tired of printing up how much it was going to cost for the stamp. So they just gave it a name. This is forever the name of the stamp, regardless of what price we charge for the stamp. The price isn't forever. It's just the name that they so, but God's word is forever. It's permanent. It lasts. It doesn't alter. It doesn't change. It stays there. It's true. And then it, the judgments of the Lord are true, totally righteous. Totally righteous. Not partially righteous, not partially true. Some states have what they call no fault divorce, which is, in my opinion, impossible. Because wherever you have two fallen human beings in a relationship, there is fault, plenty of fault to go around for either person. God's word has no fault. God's word is valuable. Then he moves on in verse 10 to show us that it's desirable. Better than fine gold, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey. So it's Better than any possession I can have. It's better than any pleasure I can engage in. I read that and I go, okay, I know that's true in my head, but you know, in my heart, uh, sometimes I want possessions. And sometimes I, I, I still like to eat food, you know. Sometimes for them, you know, honey was like tiramisu or whatever. It, it was just really good. But as we spend more time in the Word, it becomes more precious to us. That's what he's trying to say. It's more precious. You just need to taste it more often so that you acquire the taste for it. And it becomes more precious to us. And then it's profitable. Not only is it valuable and desirable, but it's profitable. He says, by them is your servant warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. By them is your servant warned. Several years ago, when our children were younger, we took them out to Custer State Park. And there we were in this Jeep in Custer State Park. And in Custer State Park, you can see the buffalo if you happen to get there at the right time. And so we're sitting in this Jeep, and the guy in the Jeep says to us, you have to, you have to keep your hands inside, you know, keep your extremities inside the Jeep. Because if you don't, 
could be a problem because these buffalo, actually, when they're grazing, they never stop. They just move at about three to four miles an hour. So a herd of buffalo is always on the move. And so we had this, we got that picture of uh, that buffalo for me? Yeah, there we go. Uh-huh. You want to keep your, I, I was in Yellowstone one time and the Harley bikers were there and that was happening. I'm thinking I'd be freaked out if I was a big, tough Harley biker. I wouldn't care how big and tough I was. I'd be a little bit upset or a little nervous about, and you couldn't go because everybody's parked in front of you. You can take off road if you want, but that's going to be bad. So, but my point is this, if we obeyed what God's word says in that instance, there was great reward. We actually sat there in silence and watched this herd of buffalo move through. That was a reward. The reward for a believer, the primary, I think, reward for a believer who obeys the word of God, who is warned and heeds the warning, is deeper communion with God. This is what Jesus said in John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he that loves me will be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and now get this, and disclose myself or reveal myself to him. So obedience leads to greater communion with God. And that's the, the desirability and the profitability of, of the Word of God. So the, this new year, 2019, what is your workout regimen for ingesting the Word of God? I've provided for you. I asked Megan to print it all out in the bulletin, the entire outline, so that you can actually write it down because I want this to be, if it's going to be disciplined, it needs to be enacted. In order to be enacted, there's a greater likelihood of it if we actually write it down and say we're going to try to commit to do it. What is your practice for ingesting the Word of God? Do you have a, a reading schedule? To, to spend time regularly reading the Bible, attending church, listening to a podcast. Could be that you're having, you know, uh, listening to it online, attending a Bible study or a small group where you're getting the Word of God into your life. That's the, that's the challenge. So what is the form that it will take? Write it down. What is the frequency that it'll take? Okay, so I'm going to read my Bible uh, five times a week, you know, for five minutes. Whatever. I don't, I'm not trying to, it's not legalism. You know, it's not like, yeah, if I do it, then okay, I'm in. No, it's just, will I spend time in the Word of God? Secondly, not only do we cultivate our walk with God through ingesting the Word of God, but investing in prayer. God's Word is the way that he primarily communicates to us. Prayer is the way in which we spend time communing with Him. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Colossians chapter 4. New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Colossians chapter 4, beginning with verse 2, Paul says this to the Colossian Christians, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well that God may open for us a door to the word that we may proclaim it, the mystery of Christ for which also I have been imprisoned, that I may make it clear as I ought to make it clear. Well, he says devote yourself. What does devote mean? Last Sunday, I was able to, for the very first time in my life, attend a National Football League game down in Kansas City. 
So I'm sitting at the game, and I think I had a picture of the game. I thought I had one. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, live picture. No, it's a picture I took. It's not one from the, you know, Twitter or whatever. It's not somebody Snapchat. Nobody uh, tweeted it to me. I took this picture. But what I found out was these Kansas City Chiefs fans are devoted. I mean, they stood up the entire game. If you sat down, you had to look at the jumbotron to see what was going on. They're there, rain or shine, warm weather or cold weather. They don't care whether they win or they, well, they care whether they win or lose, but they're there whether they win or lose. And they were playing the Raiders. So, you know, it was just the, the, the rivalry of rivalries. Are we devoted to prayer? See, most of us, if we think about prayers, oh yeah, there he's going to talk about prayer. And I, I, my prayer life is just, you know, it's just really not what I want it to be. I don't know anybody who's an honest Christian who says my prayer life is just right up here, top notch. You know, I'm just, prayer, I got that down. No, listen to Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence put it this way. For many years, I was bothered by the thought that I was a failure at prayer. Then one day, I realized I would always be a failure at prayer. And I've gotten along much better since. <laughs> now that doesn't mean he stopped praying. Now notice what does Paul say? Devote yourselves to prayer. He says devote yourself to prayer. The idea of, of devote is continual steadfastness. That's what the ESV says. It says continue steadfastly in prayer. So the focus is on being faithful, not being fluent in prayer. It's being consistent not being competent. It's being attentive to prayer, not, not being so articulate in prayer. It's in being persistent and not proper. It's not about I have all the right words to say. It's about that I'm doing it, that I'm involved in it, that I'm engaged in communing with my Father. And Here's my kind of a summary of what I would understand prayer to be. Prayer is... First of all, adoring God for who He is. Adoration. It's acknowledging my unworthiness to be in His presence. It's admitting that I need Him. And it is asking Him to work in and through and for me. It's adoring Him. It's acknowledging my unworthiness before him. It's admitting my need for him. And it's asking him to work in me and through me and for me. And it's communion with God. He says keeping alert in it. Watchful, expectant, with thanksgiving. Now how is that possible for believers to keep, you're waiting for God to answer you're expecting God to do something. Now, the fact is, He doesn't always answer the way we want Him to answer. So how can we be thankful? I was at this wedding, and this young couple, uh, they had been thinking and praying about relocating and finding new jobs. And as believers, anytime there's a transition, anytime there's a change, anytime there's something going on in our life, we can be in prayer alert and thankful. Why? Because they were accepting that whatever God gave, that's what God wanted. It may not be what I want, it may not be what I expect, but it is what God wants. And if God is a loving and caring Heavenly Father, then what He wants is best. 
even if I don't understand it at the time. And so they could be thankful in prayer. And then he says, praying at the same time for us as well in verse 3, which is kind of an evangelistic twist on prayer. And notice in verses 3 and 4 what he asks us to pray for evangelistically. First, for open doors. Then for open mouths. And then for clarity. He asks, pray that God would open a door for the word. I wonder. When we pray for our missionaries, do we pray that God would open for them a door for the word? I just got the uh, update uh, from Dan and Georgiana and, uh, you know, and the Calderons. And they'd been traveling all over Europe. Singing in bars and sharing their testimony. Sounds to me like God opened a door for the word. Now, maybe some of us would be a little reticent to go in there, but don't you think those people need Jesus? I think so. Open a door for the word and then open our mouths that we might speak it in a way that we, we should, that, that God would open our mouths. And you know what? You can pray that for me. I'll pray that for you. You got neighbors that don't know Jesus, and uh, God needs to open a door for the word, open your mouth, and then help make it clear as we ought to speak it. And interestingly enough, Paul is praying for boldness when he's in jail, for being bold. Colossians, he's in jail because he, for the gospel, for which also I am in prison. That's what he says in, in verse 3. So give me boldness so I can stay in jail? No, so he can keep preaching the gospel. And there are other prayers in the Bible that we can pray for each other and for, for other believers. Ephesians chapter 1, there's one prayer in there, verse 15 and following. And Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and following. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and following. Pray this for people. We should be praying. First of all, we need to cultivate our walk with God. And so what's the form that your prayer is going to take? That's the question. And what's the frequency? In 2019, be spiritually disciplined to cultivate your walk. Not to please me. Not to feel like you checked off a box. But to deepen your walk with God. And secondly, we're to proclaim the word of God. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Familiar passage to many people. But in Romans chapter 10, there, there, we're, I think this Spiritual discipline, this regular practice of proclaiming the Word of God needs to be part of our life. And there are two purposes for proclaiming the Word of God. And the first purpose is the conversion of the lost. Notice, beginning with verse 13. Paul says, For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call upon Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good, glad tidings of good things. However, they did not all heed the glad tidings. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. So faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. What is the word of Christ that they need to hear? Look up at verse 4 in chapter 10. 
he, decli- he describes, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So the word of Christ is this. It's Christ, not the law, that brings us into right relationship with God. It's Christ, not the law, that brings us into right relationship with God. And faith comes by hearing that word. And so that word needs to be proclaimed. That's the Reader's Digest version. The the more expanded notes version of the word of Christ is this. We're all messed up. And because we're messed up, we deserve to die. That's Romans 3, 23. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6, 23, the wage of sin is death. But God sent Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross to pay the debt that you and I deserve to pay so that he received the wrath of God so that all who believe in Jesus don't receive the wrath of God. And then if you look at Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will what? Be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God. The punishment that you deserve because of, and I deserve because of our sins. For with your heart you believe resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth you confess resulting in salvation. That's the message that is to be proclaimed. And you say, okay, so it's supposed to be proclaimed. Because here's the message. It is. It says, how do they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how do they hear unless somebody is sent? And then if somebody's sent, then they have to preach. So you only believe what you hear from someone who's sent to preach it. So who's that? Well, yeah, there's some who are gifted and called to preach and teach. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. But in John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus says, As the Father sent me, so send I you. I think we have a slide of Luke chapter 24, um, verses 46 through 48. Got it up there? Yeah. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And you know what, folks? Every person who's a child of God has been called to proclaim his name. That's you and me. It's not just professional preachers, not just missionaries out there. In fact, in verse 48, he says, you are my witnesses. What does that mean? You are my witnesses. Good, bad, or ugly, we are his witnesses. <laughs> We're it. You know, Could use the rocks, but he didn't use the rocks, he uses us. So we are his witnesses to proclaim the word of God so that people come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's for the con- Version of the loss, it's also for the completion of believers. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, Paul says this, And we proclaim him, Jesus, admonishing every man and instructing every man with all wisdom for this purpose, that we may present every person complete in Christ. Grown up in Jesus, that's what it means. You know, Mature. So that we fully reflect the character of, and the life of Jesus in our lives. That's what Colossians chapter 3, is what Paul says. And now, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, let us put on a heart of compassion and kindness, humility, and gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. 
And above all these, put on love, which is a perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. That's what it means to be complete in Jesus. And so we're supposed to speak the word to reach people for Jesus and to help people grow up in Jesus. So what's your plan for 2019? To communicate the word of God so that people will come. Do you spend time with your family reading the word of God? Sharing that they need to put their faith and their trust in Jesus? What about a little message to your coworkers? What about tweeting something out that has some substance to it? What about a Facebook message other than a picture of your grandkids? Share with people the joy of what it means to know Christ. Passage of Scripture that will convert the lost or help complete the, the, the believers. What is the plan? What is the form and what is the frequency? What about taking part in leading some of these kids in Awanas and doing book time with them and sharing the gospel of Jesus with them and teaching Sunday school, leading a small group, whatever it might be. So we are to cultivate our walk with God. We're, so, we're supposed to practice and put that into, into work. We're supposed to proclaim the word of God. And finally, I'm going to mention the third workout is to practice the love of God. To practice the love of God. In Colossians, you can go back there if you want, Colossians chapter 4, I quoted verses 2 through 4, but then in verse 5, we see that there's this love of God stuff. And there's two groups of people we're called to love as believers. We're supposed to, first of all, love each other. That's what Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this will all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. If we can't love each other, then, well, then, then, then there's, there's no hope. And that's how we testify the word, because we're all different. We love one another. Priority to love our brothers and sisters. Uh, Romans chapter 12, Paul says, devote yourself, be devoted to, to uh, one another in love. There it is again, devoted. Continue steadfastly in our love for one another. Uh, how long the Shen's been meeting? No, you're not that old, Larry. When? How long? 40 years? 50 years? There's been this group in the church called the Shens. Now, they didn't... Huh? Since World War II. Okay. So, you figure 70 years. Okay. Or, or plus. Okay. So, they've been meeting for a long time. Now, I don't know how many of the current Shans started in the original meeting, but uh, probably not that many. But they've been meeting. This group of people have come, and they've been regularly meeting. Like, only like once a month at least, every year. And then they, they, they care for each other, they pray for each other. Now, we, we all hope and pray you, you pray for other people too, you know, and, and they encourage each other. They have been devoted to one another in loving one another. And God says, this is what you and I are supposed to do. Why? Why should we do that? Because we've been loved by God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, for God is love. He who loves not knows not God. Why? Because God is love. So it, we have been loved by God, and we express that love. See, loving others is the fruit of faith. It's the result of a relationship. It's the expression of what we have experienced. 
And that's what God expects us in the body of Christ. And I'm so grateful at Creekside Church to see and know so many of you who are loving each other in the body of Christ. And it's been an encouragement to me. I mean, yesterday, there was a bunch of, there were a bunch, I was, I sound like I'm uh, from the uh, wrong side of the tracks, or whatever, but there were a bunch of people here. Okay, correct English, Steve. There were a bunch of people here, and they were cleaning and working and scrubbing and doing stuff, and you would have come, you would might not, never have known it. It's like those things that you do. If it's not done, you notice, but if it is done, you don't. Praise God for that. I want Creekside people, I want whatever church you belong to, wherever you go, wherever you're aligned with, I want us to be people who are known for sacrificially loving and serving each other. And I see it. People after the flood last June, June, they were caring before and after the flood. People taking meals to people, celebrating birthdays, celebrating anniversaries, helping people out when they're having a hard time. Using our gifts and talents help us to be generous with our time and our talents. In this body of Christ, for God's glory, and it is a testimony to the world. So where are you? What's the form? What's the frequency of your love for the body of Christ? Do we pray for each other? Do we send notes and cards of encouragement to each other? Do we go over and help people out when they're having a hard time? Do we even know? Do we call them and care? And here's the deal I want to say, and I, I didn't know I was going to say this, but I'm going to go out there on the limb. If you're here and you're waiting and saying, yeah, they're not very loving towards me, you missed it. Am I loving others? That's the question. It's not how is any, you know, you know, woe is me. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Guess I'll go eat worms. Now, I want people to love you. It aches my heart. I'm not glad if, if you don't feel loved. That, that grieves my heart. But as a believer, God asks us, by the grace of God, keep it up or else step it up. You know? In our love for other people. In the body of Christ. These are our brothers. and We're going to spend eternity with each other. So we might as well get used to it. You know. I don't want to, I don't want to meet you on the street in, in glory. And you go, yeah, you were a jerk. <laughs> we fail. We fail. You know, we fail each other. So let's just get that on the table. We are going to mess up. I will not love you. I am not Jesus. Okay? And if you're looking to me to be Jesus for you, you're looking in the wrong place. Boy, I want to reflect him as much as I can. And I want you to too. But he is my sufficiency. And he is my hope and stay. And he is the solid rock upon which I build my life. And I hope he is for you too. We're to love each other. We're also to love not only the brothers, but we're to love others. And unconditional love, I tell every couple that's in my office for premarital counseling, love is giving better than you get. It's acting better than you feel. Well, I don't really feel like loving them. Tough. You know, I'm sure Jesus didn't feel like dying on a cross. But he did. And we're supposed to love each other. We're also supposed to love others. What's the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor as yourself. We're supposed to love in deed and truth. I, I, I pray that 
we at Creekside Church would realize we are not the country club. The country club exists for people in the club, exclusively. Now, we exist for people in the club, but we exist for people outside the club. Those are the people we're trying to reach with the gospel. We're supposed to love them in word and in deed, or in deed and in word. Conduct yourself with wisdom, Paul says in Colossians 4-5, towards those who are outside. Those who are outside, those who are outside, those who are not part of the body of Christ. Conduct yourself with wisdom. So here it is, folks. You got them in your bulletin. I put them there again. You're going to get sick and tired of seeing them, but I'm going to put them in there until we start doing it. See, it doesn't matter how much we know, it's how much we do. What if Christ's command really meant that we're supposed to love our neighbors and our co-workers, the people God brings into our life? I read an article the other day, and Brian Davies said this, People in my life were sent for a reason, and I should not ignore the significance of those interactions. The people in our lives, God brings them for a reason. There's a reason we're still on this planet. And that's to reach people for Jesus and to build up the body of Christ. And so my prayer is that we would take, take it, just do it. There was a, there's a person in our congregation I know that last summer there was all this, uh, I mean, they, they were just buying all this fresh fruit, all this fresh fruit, all this. And then they were making baked goods with the fresh fruit and passing it out to their neighbors. Good for them. That's what it's all about, to pray for our neighbors, to reach out to our neighbors, to do some of this stuff. Not as a regiment. What's the form? What's the frequency? How are we going to do this in loving others for the body of Christ? And we're supposed to love them in word. That's Colossians 4, 6. You can read it later. So we know how, to, how we should speak. I hope you pray with me that God would help me to be more consistent in every interaction to interject, introduce the gospel. Guy working at her house last fall, and I, I just said, you know what, tell me what you, what's your church background? We got in this big discussion about his church background and his faith. Ask him, you know, what, what, what do you think it means to be a Christian? I mean, what's your concept of Christianity? I mean, I know lots of different questions you can ask, but we somehow be intentional about cultivating our walk with God. You know what, there are going to be financial pressures and family problems and work projects and physical pains that sidetrack or attempt to sidetrack us from spiritual disciplines that lead us to Christ-likeness. I just want to leave you with 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verses 7 and 8. You can just write it down. The words of Hezekiah are an encouragement to me that I hope will help keep us steadfast in our discipline. He said, be courageous and do not fear. For he who was with us is greater than he who was with him. Speaking of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, who was going to attack Judah. For he has the arm of flesh, and we have the Lord our God as our help. Folks, the motivation for Christ-like living is the mercy of God that brought us into the family. The love of Christ controls us, Paul says. And as we take these elements, we remember the love of Christ. His body broken and his blood shed so that all who would believe could be delivered from the wrath we deserve.
and then would live and love so that we could lead people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we take these elements, as every believer here would be welcome to take these elements, I pray that we would do so reflecting upon and reminded of your love for us and then relying upon your word and promises. Help us to be disciplined, Father, to be consistently practicing, not just trying, not just working up a frenzy and giving up after a few days, but consistently disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness, for your glory and the gain of your kingdom. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.